Uh, so, oh, down a little. Just uh, down a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, just. Uh, I am very particular. Thank you. That's great. Um, I wonder whether whatever's happening with these lights, is it possible to turn that strip off? Because it's quite disconcerting that they keep going on and off. Is that possible? I'm looking at Mr. Ricketts because he has the answer to everything as far as I know. Um, yeah. Is that okay with folk? Uh, I, I was finding it a bit, oh, what's going on here? And uh, I can't see my notes now, but hey, uh, <laughs> that doesn't make any difference. If I'm an animated speaker. Oh, really? Okay. I'm going to stand very still. Ruth, thank you so much for sharing this morning. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't able to be at Life Matters the other week. I uh, wish I had been, but um, thank you for that. Uh, a, a line from a song went through my mind when I was watching that little video clip. Um, Rend Collective is a relatively new uh, group of Christians. They, they're uh, kind of quite well known now, and I'm a fairly recent convert to Rend Collective. And uh, I, there's a line in one of their songs, that the, the song is called Joy, and the line is, dark is just the canvas for your grace and brightness. And I thought about that when we saw that uh, clip talking about what does this dark look like. I thought it was a lovely thought. Dark is just the canvas for your, that is God's, grace and brightness. In the midst of what appears to us to be nothing but darkness, God is able to work his grace, work his brightness, work his miracles. And... Uh, Thank you, Ruth. I really appreciated uh, listening to you and seeing that video this morning. You'll be glad to know that uh, I'm not going to try and cover every word in this passage from verse 5 through to verse 56. We would be here for a very long time if I was going to try and do that. You will know that Graham Dancy was due to cover verses 5 to uh, 25 last week and was unwell at the last moment, and in conversation with Andrew earlier in the week, um, he, he let me know about that, and I said, well, do you want me to do, kind of do last week's sermon, or do you want me to do this week's sermon uh, passage? And uh, he said, I really don't mind, um, but maybe you can think about doing a bit of both. And so I began to think about that, and in fact, as I began to read it as a whole, rather than just the section that I was due to preach on, and that's always a good thing to do anyway. But when I read it as a whole, the thing that stood out to me was the, the dialogue that was going on between Gabriel uh, and Zachariah, and then Gabriel and Mary. And so that's what I want to think about this morning. That's why we had two people reading, uh, and two, the, the two sections were more or less almost all about the dialogue that went on between Gabriel and these other people. Uh, Andrew also sent me an email earlier in the week saying, um, you've deliberately started Luke now so that this passage is not linked to Christmas. And I think that's a really good idea. Uh, I, I, it made sense immediately when I read that, that that's what you want to do. Because, of course, inevitably, maybe this has already been said, but inevitably, uh, when you read a passage like this at Christmas, there's a degree of sentimentality wrapped up around it. It's a little baby, ah. Oh kind of feeling to it. And although, uh, as Christian people, as many if not all of us are this morning, we may not think quite like that, still it's easy to get wrapped up in all of the stuff about Christmas. And so I commend the elders for their thinking in 
actually dealing with this uh, outside of the Christmas season. It means that there is no sentimentality involved at all. We read it for what it is, an extraordinary story. So um, you may remember, who would have been here um, three years ago in December, December 2011? Put your hand up if you were here. Um, oh, uh, well, not so many, okay. Um, you remember, of course, what I preached on in December 2011, won't you? <laughs> Don't worry, I wouldn't have remembered, uh, but I have my notes to tell me what I preached on. Uh, I shared, because uh, we were coming up to Christmas, I shared um, the passage about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the conversation with Gabriel, and uh, I talked about it at that time, and I spoke about Zechariah and Elizabeth under the headings of people who were blameless, uh, someone who was barren, but they were bewildered about their belief and how blessed they were. Now, um, if Tim Coldrick was here, he might have remembered that. Uh, if you know Tim, he has an extraordinary memory. He remembers every, He tells me my sermons from 20 years ago. Uh, he has just this extraordinary memory. But that's what we talked about then. And uh, it's interesting as we read this passage and uh, think about the background to it. Uh, priests like Zachariah would normally have served in the temple um, uh, twice a year for a week at a time, and he would have ordinarily not lived in Jerusalem. He'd have been out somewhere in the Judean countryside working there. Uh, but on this occasion, God had planned to do something quite dramatic as far as Zechariah was concerned. He wanted to break into his life in a very significant and dramatic way. And it's interesting because this was a quite a defining moment for Zechariah because it tells us that he was, uh, according to verse 9, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That only ever happened once in a priest's lifetime. Once. They served in the temple, not less than twice a year, but to go in and burn incense was a wonderful privilege that only ever happened once in a priest's lifetime. So you can imagine, this is Zechariah, in a heightened state of spiritual awareness, at least you would hope he would be. <laughs> because the, it, this only happens once. So he goes, he serves in the temple, then by lot he's chosen to go and burn incense. So you would think, and I'm sure it was true, that his heart, his mind, his spirit, was really trying to be in tune with God. This was a man who was, uh, as I said, at a heightened spiritual awareness. By contrast, Mary, when Gabriel comes to speak to Mary, appears to be, according to what we read, just going about her everyday business. Tell us almost nothing about Mary. In fact, uh, what does it tell us? That um, she lived in Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and she was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and then it tells us her name. She was Mary. Seems as if this was ordinary, everyday stuff for Mary. She was just going about her duties of the day. She was a young woman. Nobody knows for sure, but um, most people think in her early teen years, 15, 16, something like that, though we don't know that for certain. But this too was an interesting time for Mary because suddenly Gabriel comes and speaks these words that we've read together to her. So there's quite a contrast, isn't there? There's Zechariah who logically 
is in a heightened state of spiritual awareness. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity he's in the middle of. And then there's Mary, who's just going about her ordinary every day. She's just got up, and she's had a wash, and she's had a breakfast, and she's getting on with life, and suddenly. And for both of them, Gabriel comes and speaks to them. And I found that interesting as I was thinking about this passage and the contrast in their responses to what Gabriel had to say. But before we get to the contrast in their responses, there are a number of similarities I'd like just to very briefly point out to you. Some of them are very obvious and logical, but I hope it helps us to paint the picture of why the contrast is so important. On both occasions, in verses 19 and verse 26, we read that Gabriel is named as the messenger. Verse 19, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. And in verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Gabriel is named as the messenger. This is not an unknown messenger. This is Gabriel, a special servant of God. And on both occasions, in those same verses, it tells us that he was specifically sent by God for the purpose of talking, in the first instance, to Zechariah, and six months later, to Mary. So it's Gabriel, and he's been sent expressly by God. Do you see that? In verse 26, God sent the angel Gabriel. Verse, 20, verse 19, I have been sent. This is God at work. This is not just on a whim from Gabriel or anybody else. The other thing the passage tells us is that Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary were all very clearly people who walked closely with God. It expressly says that about Zechariah and Elizabeth in verse 6. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. That's quite a testimony, isn't it? <laughs> I'd like it to be said of me. I'm not sure it would be, but I'd like it to be said of me. That's an extraordinary testimony that God writes in his word about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And of Mary, although it isn't explicit, in verse 28 when the angel speaks to her, he says, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. <laughs> it's clear that this is a person who has walked with God, and God sees and has highly favoured, and in fact, purely at a human level. You wouldn't think God would choose just any old person to be the human mother of the Son of God, would you? This has to be someone very special, someone who walks with him. And so that's another similarity. There are people who walked closely with God. And of course, it's obvious from verses 13 and 31, that the uh, message that they received was quite extraordinary. As far as uh, Zechariah was concerned, verse 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to give him the name John. Wonderful news for an old man with a wife getting on in years, as the NIV very politely puts it. And for Mary... Extraordinary news. Here she is, a virgin, being told she's going to have a child that's got nothing to do with any human parentage. Amazing. Extraordinary news for both of them. And it tells us, understandably, that when they saw the angel, fear gripped them both. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And in verse 29 for Mary, 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words. In fact, I like the way the message puts those two little expressions of Zachariah. It says, Zachariah was paralyzed with fear. And of Mary, it says, she was thoroughly shaken. Well, you understand that, don't you? It's not every day you get an angel come and talk to you. It's not an everyday occurrence at all. Especially somebody with the kind of message that Gabriel had. No wonder they were paralyzed with fear and thoroughly shaken. And then it tells us, a sixth thing that's very similar, verses 18 and 34, that they both had doubts. They both asked questions of Gabriel. It says, in verse 18, Zechariah, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And Mary, when she speaks, in verse 34, How will this be? since I'm a virgin. And you understand that kind of question, don't you? This is extraordinary news that they're receiving from Gabriel, God's messenger. So it's understandable they had some doubts. What's this about? I don't quite understand this. What's going on here? And finally, in their similarities, would you note that both of them ended up singing wonderful songs of worship to God? Well, you haven't read verses 46 to 55 of, uh, of this chapter, which is Mary's song. And uh, next week, I think you're going to get to Zechariah's song in verses 67 to 79. Because as they saw God working his purposes out, they burst into jubilant song. That's not surprising. So they move from being people who are paralyzed with fear, people who've got questions and doubts and they're not certain, to when they see God working it out, to be people of great worship and adoration. Wonderful. Interesting similarities. But I think, unless you can find some more for me, I'd be very happy for you to, but I couldn't see any more similarities in their stories. I think that's where the similarities end. Because I don't know about you, but it's often puzzled me, and it wasn't until I began to think about it a little more deeply, because I was preparing for today, the surface reading is strange, because Zachariah's question in verse 18, how can I be sure of this? Mary's question in verse 34, how will this be? Uh, invokes entirely different reactions from Gabriel. To Zachariah, he says... You're going to be dumb now until your wife gives birth. But to Mary, he speaks rather more gently. And that's been a puzzle for me why that is. Because we read in verse 19, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent, not able to speak. That's a bit of a punishment almost, it seems. Whereas when he replies in verse 36, to Mary, it's, it's almost, a you can almost read a different tone, and I, I hope I'm not letting my imagination run away with me here, but he appears to be very firm with Zechariah. You've not believed me, therefore there is a consequence to that unbelief. But to Mary, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, and so on. There's almost a gentler tone to his reply. It's quite interesting, I hadn't noticed it before, but again, preparing for this. When he, uh, Gabriel responds in verses 19 and 20, he uses the word I and me quite a lot. 
When he responds to Mary, he doesn't use I and me at all. He speaks of what God will do in her life. Interesting side thought. But I wonder why. Why did he give different kinds of answers almost? Respond differently? Was it, I wondered, because he was of whom he was addressing? Did he think he needed to be gentler with Mary because she was just a young woman? I, I don't know. I, I suspect not. Um, she was, after all, about to become the human mother of the Son of God. She was made of sterner stuff than that. Maybe that was so, but I, I don't think so. Was it maybe because he thought he'd been too harsh with Zachariah, so he'd better not be quite so harsh with Mary? Um, I don't think so. Was it maybe because Zachariah was older and was a priest and so kind of ought to have known better? Because you always expect more from older people, don't you? Sadly, often you're disappointed, but you, look at, you, you expect more from older people. You expect that spiritually they might be a little more alert to things and they've walked a longer pathway. Was it that? Well, maybe. I don't know. Could be. Maybe not. Maybe it was because, from a human perspective, he needed to be gentler with Mary because where Zachariah had Elizabeth to go home to and talk to via writing about what he'd heard, uh, Mary had nobody else involved from a human perspective. And anything that she was going to say to Joseph was going to cause her all sorts of problems. <laughs> I don't know. I speculate. But I speculate a little more now, if that's allowed in a preacher. But I don't think too much. I think it's none of those things. I think it's because there was a different kind of doubting going on between Zechariah and Mary. A different kind of doubting going on in their hearts and in their minds. Uh, and you might say, well, what do you mean by that? So let me take a few minutes to explain it. I'd like to suggest that Zechariah doubted whether it would happen at all. Was God really able to do this? That's, in essence, his question. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. From my human perspective, I don't understand this. I don't see how God can do this. It's not logical. He was using his human thinking. He was doubting what God was telling him through Gabriel. In effect, he was doubting God himself. I love the way the message puts it. Uh, NIV, as we've read a couple of times, how can I be sure I'm an old man? My wife is well along in years. The message is a little more blunt. It says this, do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. Really, Gabriel? You want me to believe this? Really? I, I'm not sure about this. This, is, this doesn't sound right to me. To my human perspective, this doesn't sound right. I'm not sure. Don't think God can do this, really. Remember I said earlier, this was a man who was taking part in a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, serving in the temple, burning incense, and I suggested he ought to be in a heightened state of spiritual awareness. But it seems that he reverted, if he was, 
to human logic and doubted God himself, doubted God's words. By contrast, Mary asked not if. Her question was how. It's a different kind of question. A different kind of question. She didn't doubt from the question she asked about the possibility that God could do it or would do it. Her question was, how? I'm an unmarried virgin. How's that going to work? <laughs> I think that's a perfectly reasonable question, don't you? <laughs> and I think it was shot through with a spiritual perspective, not a human perspective. If you like, you have a spiritual man in Zechariah and an ordinary woman in Mary. But she wasn't doubting. She was simply saying, how are you going to work it out, God? I accept it will happen. How are you going to do it? And Zechariah, uh, sorry, Gabriel answered the question. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This has got nothing to do with another human being. God is going to do this in your life. And I'd like to suggest that there are those contrasts between their responses. And that's, I think, though I am speculating, that that's why Gabriel answered them in quite different ways. It helps me to understand, at least. I hope maybe it does you. Of course, the difference was that Zachariah ended up not being able to speak at all for nine months. Whilst Mary was immediately able to say, as it says in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said. Zachariah couldn't speak. Mary was able to respond with a heart of worship, a heart that said, God, I'm just here for you. I'm your servant. And that's a challenge for us, isn't it? As we think about our doubts, maybe. Some of the things that come into our life that challenge the way that we think about things. I don't believe for a moment that God worries about our doubts. Honest doubts are welcome in God's presence, I believe. He is much bigger than our honest doubts and he's able to respond to them. But it's how we come. It's how we come. And as long as we're trusting him for the answers to the question, rather than trying to work it out with our human logic and our human understanding and from human perspectives, there are lots of things in each of our lives, and I, I know some of you a little, I know some of you reasonably well, I know some of you not at all, but God knows every one of you. It's one of the things that we were praying about before the service started recognizing that God knows our hearts as we sit here this morning and listen to him. And whatever's going on in your life and whatever doubts might be coming, and I speak to my own heart as well as to yours, what God is looking for is not the doubt but our response to that doubt. And when that doubt comes in and nags at us, do we say, I really must find a way of answering this question. 
I'm going to go and talk to this person. I'm going to go and talk to that person. I'm going to thrash around, try to sort out the answer to it. I'm going to use my human logic. I'm going to use my human thinking. Or do we train our hearts and minds to think spiritually? So that we come and we present our honest doubts before God and say, Lord, I don't know what's going on here, and I don't know how you will work it out, because that was Mary's question. But I believe you will. I believe you will. Right now, I'm in the middle of a situation, which I'm not at liberty to describe to you, where this passage of scripture has spoken into my heart with exactly this. It's probably why I'm ending with this particular thought. Because it would be easy, and indeed I have already done, a certain amount of thrashing around trying to use my human logic to come to a conclusion on this particular issue. And God said, it's okay to work at it. I have given you a mind to think about it. But in the end, you have to trust me to work it out. The how is with God. I wonder, God is always at work in our life, isn't he? I guess the question is, do we see it? Sometimes we ask God to speak when actually what we should be doing is, Lord, will you help me to listen? He's speaking all the time. It's a matter of whether we're listening. And one of the ways in which we develop that kind of spiritual thinking is that we read this book regularly. As often as we can, as much as we can. That we spend time talking with God about the things that bring us joy as well as the things that cause us to doubt. That's how we change. That's how we begin to think spiritually rather than simply with human logic. So my challenge at the end of those thoughts about Zechariah, Mary and Gabriel is will we let God answer our honest doubts? Will we let him be at work in our lives? Will we listen when he speaks? Let me pray, and then I think I'm handing back to Andrew. Just take a moment in the quiet to reflect on what God may have said to us this morning from his word, to speak to him and to listen to him. Father, thank you that you are always speaking and we are sorry that we're not always listening. But we pray that you will help us by your Holy Spirit to increasingly be a people who listen to what you have to say. To listen through reading your word. To listen through communion with you in prayer. To listen through the world and the way it speaks. To listen through friends and the way they speak. Help us to be listening as you speak. And thank you so much that doubts do not frighten you or worry you. Thank you that you welcome people who come with honest doubts because then you can answer their questions. But help us, we pray, to be those who come
with a spiritual mind and a spiritual perspective when these challenges come into our lives. Save us, Lord, from simply being human in our logical thinking. Though we thank you that you've given us minds to think. But Lord, we pray that you will give us, above all, spiritual hearts and minds to listen to you in these days. Help us as we continue to worship you now. And thank you for your word, and thank you for characters like Zachariah and Mary and Gabriel that we can learn so much from. We bring you the worship of our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.